tonight we're going to be discussing an early 80s drama. It's based upon a true story about therapist Lena Canada. And it's uh, one of the earliest films of young up-and-coming Diane Lane, also starring Deborah Raffin and a bunch of other guests of uh, talent. But uh, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, hello there, Mr. Smelly. How are you this fine evening? How do happy week before Thanksgiving? I'm here, I'm queer, and I'm not going home. Or like that. <laughs> Did they pardon the turkey there in Pickle Hollow? <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, they're they're all lesbian turkeys. Oh. With uh, fresh uh, helpings of the the cheese, too, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, about this time, almost last year, we had a a guest from the Golden Coast. And I think he must have got a two-for-one deal on his uh, fare there, because he is here with us again tonight. Uh, Please put your hands together for Mr. Matt Burlingame. Oh, thank you. I was playing the diamonds, and I threw it, and I got in the basin. Well, I won a trip back here. I'm so happy. Hi. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, it, uh, you know, it's Turkey Day just around the corner, and I talked a little bit about that in my latest episode, my show, Surely You Jest, but uh, it was a little too uh, last minute for us to plan a family get-together because, well... The world is still toxic, and some of us are catching up on uh, our responsibilities, let's just say. But uh, plans are on the horizon for the next big to-do, the holiday next month. And, um, well, we'll see how that goes, because it'll be the first time in two years that I've gone out to the haystack. Wow. <laughs> Oh, but uh, I'm sure that you've got your usual full plate coming there with the the uh, responsibilities there, Mr. Smelly. Are you planning on cooking up a storm? No, um, because of COVID, once again, uh, I'm not. And uh, my sister-in-law is going to host it. Um, and uh, there's, there's just... See, I work at a place where every day I could catch this damn thing Mm -hmm. and uh, bring it home. So it's very serious for me. Uh, I mean, I I mask up. I do all the things you're supposed to do. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's just too chancy. Chancy, too chancy. So no, uh, no, no turkey fixings from me. Understandable. My my eldest sister is raising her grandkids, and since they can't be vaccinated yet, that's why they're not doing a family gathering because it's just too risky right now for them. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, um, it's the time of the year that uh, we get together with loved ones and we celebrate the end of a season because this. In the uh, old days, used to be the end of the harvest season, the uh, you know the time that we celebrate the the, the plenty, and uh, 
Well, it's just basically a time to be thankful for what we have. So the program we'll be discussing tonight, Touched by Love, a film of 1980, is a story that involves a, a amount of being thankful. Um, Matt, if you would do the honors, our, our showgirl, she, um, she's sitting it out tonight here because, well, she wasn't, uh, you know, feeling the weather. So could you give the listeners an intro for us? Of course. But I do have to say that sending me a movie called Touched by Love, <laughs> I was expecting something far different. <laughs> <laughs> However... So Lena is a young physical therapist who's just arrived to work as, at a remote and rural group home for differently abled children. Inspired by the beautiful setting, she is filled with hope for the kids that she's there to help. And she feels capable until one day when she meets Karen, a girl who's been to these places since she was born. Everyone tells Lena to be careful and not spend too much time with her. But does she listen to their warning? Does young Karen learn to trust her? Get out your record player and your blue suede shoes, because it's time for Touch by Love with Deborah Rapkin and Diane Lane. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Alrighty, so this was a movie. It actually got released in theaters. And uh, when I saw it, it was on television, which it's easy to understand why I might have made the mistake of assuming it was a TV movie. I mean, there's plenty of television talent in this cast. It, it has all the earmarks of a Hallmark, Hallmark Hall of Fame TV movie. <laughs> uh, if I had seen this, I, I would have at first absolutely said, oh, it's a made-for-TV movie. Um, and the only thing that tips you off that perhaps it isn't is are, are some some of the credits, and also there's no commercial breaks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, before we go too much further, I just want to take a moment to uh, mention that this film is dedicated to my sister, who I sometimes call Betty. She survived cancer at 16, and I remember this as being one of her favorite films from her youth, because like the main character, uh, she really went through the ringer at this stage of her life, so... Uh, Touched by Love is a precious memory in her life. So I'm going to go ahead and play a trailer for this film. Now, a, a word of caution. This is a film from 1980, so some of the language is dated when it comes to people with uh, different abilities. On May 1st, 1949, Karen Brown entered the world in a way you pray all children never will. Handicapped. Rejected by her natural mother, she grew up in a special home. But this was not a cruel place. One by one, they tried to reach her, and one by one, they failed. And painfully, they all gave up on a child who had given up on herself. Until one day, a remarkable young woman entered her life, touched by love. A true story of personal triumph. Karen turned in on herself. 
She turned her back on the whole world as if she knew her heart was quite literally breaking. I'm afraid it's hopeless. I'd like to give it a try. I don't want you to get attached. Are you saying I can't work with her, Dr. Bell? I mean, on my own time. You believe in miracles. Or hope for them. Well, I don't. I can't. Not in Karen's case. I have to reach Karen. Touched by love. Touched to me. An unforgettable motion picture experience. <laughs> the story of one girl's courage and the selfless dedication of a woman who truly cared. <laughs> they put on some hats and ties and said that they weren't mice at all. They were just pink rabbits and he was just singing. <laughs> Together, they prove that miracles can happen. You did it! You did it! When you've been touched by love. What are you thinking about? Music! Now Karen dreams of kings, and in her mind, she's dancing. I wonder what he's doing right now. We can find out. We can write to him and ask him. Touched by love. The story of the hardship. Please let him answer. The friendship. <laughs> love you. The victory. I love you too. The story of this girl, this woman, and the king of rock and roll. Look who just came. Touched by love. A true story of personal triumph. And I just want to say before I forget that because that uh, preview, uh, you heard a lot of it, but the music scores by John Barry, who was a preeminent film scorer of his, of his day. He did too many to count. I mean, really big movie scores. So, Okay. So one of the things that we like to do when we discuss that, uh, program is so we like to put your uh, mind into what was going on in the world when that program premiered so if you would do the honors matt uh please tell us a little oh. bit about the world in 1980 oh well i don't really remember too much of what was going on i was just practically born however <laughs> comic strip far side began in newspapers and President Carter approved a 1.5 billion bailout for Chrysler. Nothing for me. Voyage <laughs> One Probe confirmed the existence that there actually was a moon called Janus near Saturn. And also, uh, the, <laughs> the U.S. severed ties, uh, dip, uh, diplomatic relations with Iran. The Pennsylvania lottery was rigged by seven men, including the host of the drawing. I had Once nothing again, to nothing do with for it. Me. <laughs> the Department of Education begins operation and the Empire Strikes Back is released. Also, Pac-Man, which is the best selling arcade game of all time, is released. And that yummy Robert Redford makes his de directorial debut with Ordinary People. Our last episode. Go out and watch it. MatinateMinutia.com. That's true. 
And also, Andrew Lloyd Webber released the Phantom of the Opera debut in the West End of London. And he introduced us to us, us to his future fabulous ex-wife Sarah Brightman, the uh, one of the stars from our October episode about Repo the Genetic Opera. Eh, she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Toppy, tell us a little bit about the way back. Who came and went in 1980? All right. Well, let's do births first. Uh, that Zoe Deschanel. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> it's, like the per- Des- it's like the perfume Deschanel. Deschanel. Oh, my goodness. I never would have gotten that. Uh, she was in the Elf movie uh, on also uh, on TV. New Girl, Christina Ricci. Uh, she was in Adam's Family. Did, who did she play? Wendy? Wednesday, yes. Wednesday, Wednesday. What did I say? Wendy. Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> have you eaten? Was for short. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, that, uh, that kid that was in that smash hit holiday, I guess... The biggest uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend. No, 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 no. Uh, no? No. no. <laughs> oh, that's no, right. We just, we just talked about that on Chubb's Gone Wild. That's why I know it, it actually it wasn't. It was a Frozen 2, I believe. Oh, that's right. That broke it. Actually, yeah. the only reason I said that is because I listened to that episode. But <laughs> I, was, I was not listening very well or I forgot about. I know how uh, much you care about me now. Uh, Chris Pine was born and uh, he was in Star Trek 09 Wonder Woman Steve McQueen was wait a minute oh here we are okay (laughs) Steve McQueen was not born in 1980 but he did pass away Um, and John so did John Lennon in a in a uh, that horrible horrible night uh, in New York City. So there you go. You know, and as they say, everything old is new again because Macaulay Culkin that you were just talking about in Home Alone, they are remaking Home Alone and it is now on Disney Plus and it's uh, set in the UK. There's a British boy whose folks have left him at home while they're on their trip to Tokyo. Yeah, and uh, Macaulay's, what, 41 now, and he's a fashion plate. Have you seen the photos? I have not. I know he did commercials for Google last year, I think, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he's he's making his uh, little comeback now. Yeah. Hmm. So. Imagine. See, tying into John Lennon. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, Touched by Love, the... Uh, program we're discussing tonight it was a film and uh, as i said uh you know i i was confused in my my youth there i thought it was a tv movie because that's where i caught it thanks to the folks at the peacock there nbc they broadcasted on television in 82 after it had come out but 1980 was a bang-up year for movies. Now, we also discussed 1980 in our last episode, coincidentally, Ordinary People. So just touching some highlights here. There were 116 films that came out that year, including The Empire Strikes Back. And in the top of the box office were Empire Strikes Back, 9 to 5, which is my personal favorite, and Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. 
Now, Touched by Love was released in October of 1980. It didn't place in the top performers of that year. However, some of the other films that were also released in October of that year, uh, they were at the bottom rung, but just to give you an idea of some of the things that were honorable mention, was a film called Gloria, which had Gina Rowlands and Buck Henry, and it was about a young boy's family killed by the mob, and their neighbor Gloria becomes his reluctant guardian, and she was in possession of a book that the gangsters wanted, and the pair go on the run in New York. Now, also, an October release in 1980 was a film called Loving Couples. Now, this is something of intrigue for me now. It's going to go on one of my little obscure lists, because it has Shirley MacLaine in it, and James Coburn. Loving Couples. A wife is cheating her husband, and the husband is cheating her back with her lover's girlfriend, and the two cheating couples decide to go to a resort, but they unintentionally pick the same one, and hilarity ensues. I mean, they had me at Shirley MacLaine, okay? There you so, go. we, uh, you know, the Marionette Theater is a celebrated venue. We have been host to many a splendid thing, uh, vaudeville, and we even had magic acts. Now, uh, in terms of films and television we like to call the director of the film the magician so matt tell us a little bit about the director of touched by love mr gus traconis oh well first of all he was born in new york city and that explains a lot Uh, and began his began his show business career as both an actor and a dancer in broadway plays and movies just like me he, uh, well, his most popular film role was as Indio in the magnificent musical classic West Side Story. Big kill your brother. And that was in 1961, far before I was born. Uh, but Touch by Love was his eighth feature film, actually. He made his debut as a director in 1969 with that biker flick, Five the Hard Way. Mm. Again. I would I would watch that just from the title. But. Anyway, uh, also in the early 80s, he began directing mostly for television, and he did uh, a bunch of uh, made-for-TV pictures and directed episodes with uh, of TV shows like Baywatch and Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, which was like 1985, Quantum Leap, Baywatch Nights. Burke's Law, I don't remember that one. The Commish, Hunter. Oh, Hunter. Mm. And Wise Guy. And The Flash. Mm. Only this was the 1990 Flash, not the current Flash. Yeah, but I liked the 1990 Flash. I mean, the, yeah. the, Barry Allen was a little metro in those days. Mm. Now he's just confused. And uh, The Twilight Zone. Remember that show? Mm. 1985? Not, not the original it. one, but the, the second one. Oh. It was fun. Anyway, he also was uh, married to screen megastar Goldie Hawn after she probably dumped that her. I knew there was a reason I liked him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and outside of acting and directing, he, he's done oil paintings. Um, but his most popular film was Take This Job and Shove It, which was the next release after Touched by Love. So I mean, he is just a powerhouse back in his day. 
I remember mm-hmm. watching Take This Job and Shove It on TBS because uh, when Ted Turner decided to start his own channel, he loaded himself up on libraries of reruns from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, occasionally you'd get a movie like Take This Job and Shove It. <laughs> I just remember that song because my family was into country at the time. Mm-hmm. So I heard it over and over and over. And I'm just like, I don't like monkeys. Continuing on the cast, we have the lead role, the therapist, Lena. Toppy, could you tell us about the lead actress in this film? Oh, yes, of course. Of course, of course. Uh, uh, That's played by Deborah Raffin, um, who at first when I saw her, I swear she looked like... um, uh, the guy's boyfriend in the last movie we did. Um, no, right? I mean, she was the awkward teenager mm-hmm. who who was in the bowling scene. I thought that's who she was, but she's not. Deborah Rathen, and uh, she did play Lena, uh, the uh, the teacher trying to help the uh, the girl. She began acting in the early seventies. Touched by Love was her eighth feature film. And this is interesting. Uh, Deborah, with her husband, music producer Michael Vinner, uh, founded Dove Books on Tape in 1985. Wow. And it was a successful audiobook business. And, you know, really, I mean, before um, these uh, podcasting services of books on, you know, uh, what do they call the the big one? Uh, oh, Audible. Yeah, Audible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you used to get these doggone things on cassette types uh, and such like that. And later on, uh, CDs. Anyways, uh, it was a very successful business. They sold it in 1997. Uh, just before doing Touched by Love, Deborah was uh, in Hanging on a Star a story of a struggling rock band that is trying to get back on the road to stardom. And uh, uh, there was also, I kind of like her uh, credits because there's, (laughs) there's some zany things in here. Uh, She was also in a film called Satan's cheerleaders. And uh, she starred in dance of the dwarves uh, with Peter Fonda in 83. In that one, she was an anthropologist who was searching for a scientist who was investigating reports of a tribe of reptile men. Coming to Pickle Hollow soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she often appeared on television, and uh, you would have seen her in the, t- the TV short-lived TV series Foul Play, based on the movie, <laughs> where she continued Goldie Hawn's character. Boy, I'd like to kind of like to have seen that. Um, anybody see that? Mm-mm. No, um, I'll have to look under a rock. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in the '90s, uh, Ref had a series of recurring appearances on Seventh Heaven, um, and her last role on TV is was in uh, the Secret Life of an American Teenager, where I suspect she did not play the teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did Molly Ringwald. <laughs> uh, no, she played a doctor in that. Uh, and and sadly, uh, 
she passed away in 2012 uh, of leukemia. And she was only 59. So we're at about the halfway part in our program this evening. We're going to take a moment and entertain you with a short interview on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson with uh, the young talent Diane Lane. How come you kissed him and you didn't kiss me? (laughs) I mean, I just... I don't have any reason for that, I'm sorry. He's just a very attractive man. Thank you. Well, I suppose he is more the grandfatherly type and you feel comfortable. (laughs) Too much sexual attraction going on between us and she didn't feel uh, comfortable. (laughs) Is that the the correct title of the Rumblefish? Rumblefish, That's a strange title. Is it fair to ask you what that means? Uh, Rumblefish is sort of a slang name for Siamese fighting fish. Which is symbolic of uh, a relationship that goes on in the film Matt Dillon and Mickey Rourke. It's the second oh. film I did for Coppola. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing a third one now. <laughs> as soon as I get done, I'm, you're I'm a, out. You're a very busy young lady. Somebody told me you just graduated from high school. Got my ring. <laughs> is that true? Got my ring. Got it in the mail, but can I, I got see, it. What do you mean? Can I see it? <laughs> what high school is that? Uh, it's called Quintano School for Young Professionals. Yeah? Yeah. And you had to get it by mail because you couldn't be there or what? That's right. <laughs> I've been out here. This is the five-month anniversary date of uh, the start of the film, Streets of Fire. That's what I'm You told me that backstage as you've been working for five months, which is rather long. It's a long one. It's a long one. Yeah. Yeah. Are you about to, can I guess your age? You've got to sure. be 17, 18, 19. A great 18. guess, isn't it? Good, good, yeah. <laughs> Boy, you really like to narrow things down. Well, <clears throat> you get out of high school, you're about that age. Eight. <laughs> 18. Yeah. Do you have a big blowout for your 18th uh, birthday party? I did my laundry, actually. That's, that's what I did for my birthday. I, I, had a, I had a big surprise birthday party thrown for me on my 16th, Sweet yeah. 16 muckadoo deal. And it was a fiasco for me because I had to play hostess to a bunch of people I did not know. And it was like a burden, you know. I said, this one is going to be just another day in the life of. And I went out and I did my laundry. And <laughs> you must have started this business very young. Yeah, I, I was just about seven. I was six. Yeah. Are you the child of, of, of professional uh, actors or actresses? Am I the child of? Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, how many? <laughs> well, uh, no, I just, uh, I, thought, well, I guess, let me rephrase the question. Okay. Were your mother and father uh, in, uh, entertainers? Um... Is well, that, my mother was wonderful. Yes. I haven't used that one yet. <laughs> you can use parents if you want. Parents. Yeah. <clears throat> Appropriate word. Uh, my mother was a Playmate of the Month, October 57. I'm very proud of her for that. <laughs> it that wasn't right? that time. I mean, you know, Isn't it was that, a lot, you know. Did you realize it at that time when you were... Well, I was nah. not even an idea at that point. Oh, I see. Very much. <laughs> of course, I just reestablished you're 18 and 57. Right. She was only 19. <laughs> Would you do something like that? No. <laughs> Why not? Well, because you have to reveal quite a bit more at this point. Right. That's uh, one good reason. There's many other good reasons why I would choose not to do that. I don't have to. I mean, yeah. uh, Mom wanted to get a lot of exposure, and she did. Wah, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know, uh, she, I, I really liked the way she sounded there. She sounded pretty grounded. Yeah. Yeah, definitely wise beyond her years. And uh, for a time, I was confused about the beginnings of her career because I could have sworn she was in Say Anything with John Cusack. But then I just realized that Diane was simply the name of his love interest in that film. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) 
So Diane Lane, she played Karen, who was the young teen in the group home in Touched by Love. And uh, she was 13 when she was cast by director Roy Hill in his film in 79 called A Little Romance, starring opposite Sir Laurence Olivier. Now the film... Wow. Yeah, the film only did so-so. But Olivier praised his young co-star, calling her the new Grace Kelly. Well, imagine starting your career off up on that pedestal. Yeah. And uh, after her well-received debut, Diane found herself on magazine covers all over the world, including Time, which declared her the new young acting sensation. Jeez. Now, acclaimed director Francis Ford Coppola, as you might have heard mentioned there on the Tonight Show clip, he noted Diane's appeal and cast her in two youth-oriented films, one called Rumblefish in 83, and then The Outsiders also in 83. These films have become cult classics and resulted in her getting a loyal fan base. Jay Gold, Pony Boy. <laughs> Diane Lane soon secured leading roles in three big budget studio epics. She turned down the first, though, unfortunately. It was Splash, which was the launch of Daryl Hannah's career. And uh, unfortunately, the other two films, well, they were box office bombs. Included Rock and Roll Fable, Streets of Fire in 84... It was supposed to be a, a summer release, but uh, many found out it wasn't a huge success. And the massively troubled Coppola epic, The Cotton Club in 84, which co-starred Richard Gere and was a high-profile flop, unfortunately. She stayed away from the screen for the next three years. Now, there's a bit more to say about Miss Diane Lane. Um... Basically, Tom Cruise wanted to get her in on his next big film when she was in The Outsiders, and that was going to be risky business, but she said, no, my dad would kill me if I tried to play a prostitute. Oops. Yeah. Um, Then she also came close to being cast as Vivian Ward in Pretty Woman, but of course that in turn went to Julia Roberts instead. Uh, And then in 97, I remember this, she was cast opposite Wesley Snipes, and she played a Secret Service agent assigned to solve a murder at the White House in Murder in 1600. Well, born yet. Oh, God. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I I saw that, that movie, and I'll be damned if I remember, but okay. And now to date, she has 80 or 68 acting credits, which most recently, it's later years now, of course, she's appeared in two of the DC films as Martha Kent, which is Superman's foster, human foster mom, and also had a run in Netflix's House of Cards, and she had a series of recurring appearances. And did you see that she was married to Thanos? I did not. Yes. She's married to Thanos and Christopher Lambert. Oh. Remember him? I don't. It was uh, the Highlander movies, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We do love ourselves a good kilt. (laughs) Got the calendar coming. Just saying. So, Matt, uh, the uh, actress who plays the doctor in the group home here, Uh, 
had just left a very popular TV series. In fact, I think this is her first film after, what was that show called? <gasps> I think it was The Walters. <laughs> it yes. was. And yes. We celebrated Thanksgiving the other year with uh, a Walton's TV movie that was Mr. Smelly's pick. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about Michael Learned. And, um, you know, Toppy, if you if you need to help out, feel free. Well, she okay. played uh, Dr. Bell, actually, in this one. And she played a very business-like doctor who warned that wonderful Lana... Don't get involved. Don't love the children. Just keep your distance. But that is what you had to do, especially for someone who'd been in the business all that time. Anyway, so Michael Learned was born in 1939, and she was an Aries. Uh, We'll forgive her. I'm older than she was in this movie. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, Tom's older than her in real. No, anyway, uh, is uh, an American. <laughs> she, but anyway, she's an American actress, of course, and she's known for playing Olivia Walton in the CBS dramatic series The Waltons, which ran from '72 to '81, uh, and uh, was a favorite of many of us podcasters. Many, 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 many. But. Uh, Yes, and she played the role that was originally played by Toppy. Uh, who who was the one in the movie? Um, the stroke lady. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the one who I always said was so over the top. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm having a brain fart, Matt. Uh, oh, I forget what her oh, name is. Oh, damn it. Anyway. I'll let my fingers do the walking. John Boy! Anyway, so um, uh, Michael Learned, of course, anyway, she won the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, a record three times for the Waltons, 73, 74, and 76, and very well-deserved. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and a fourth time she won for The Nurse in 1982. But uh, she was a very accomplished actress, and uh, she just absolute powerhouse. But we will always know and love her for being Mama Walton. Mama woman. You know, I think this might have been one of the first times that she played a doctor type. In fact, uh, after her run on the Waltons, she was in a couple of hospital shows, and one of them had um, Brady Bunch uh, actor Robert Reed in it. I think that was Nurse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 he, they were in that. Um, I remember watching it, um, but I remember very little about it. And I think it was critically acclaimed, but it did not get ratings. So it wasn't around for long. And it mm-hmm. looks like later on, uh, possibly during the 90s, um, Michael Learned <laughs> had a series of appearances on a couple of soap operas. So keeping that yes. paycheck coming. Yeah, and I did not know that until I was looking it up today. That I and I have to think that must have happened because she must have been a big fan of soaps. I I don't know, but she she seemed to go out of her way to uh, appear for many weeks in a couple, three of them. Anything you could get. Patricia Neal was who we were thinking. There of. we okay. go. Yes. <laughs> Stroke lady Patricia Neal. Gary <laughs> Mama Walton. 
Yeah, she ruled the roost with a metal spoon. Her head was going to spin around. <laughs> I love that cake on it, man. I really do. Oh, my Lord. So they were a couple of other members of the cast, but uh, we won't go into too much detail. But they had celebrated careers, and they only were briefly on screen in this film and touched by a love. One of the other therapists at Brown House, which was the name of the group home, was played by none other than John Amos. And most of many of you will recognize him as being the father on the first couple of seasons of Good Times. And uh, he played the adult Kunta Kinte in Roots. Um, and, uh, uh, well, a lot of other also, things. Also, he had bit parts in uh, like um, Little House on the Prairie, and yeah, very very popular actor back then. And then yeah. the last honorable mention is a uh, a, a film star from uh, perhaps my father's day of heyday, going to the movies, Mary Wicks, who um, one of her first roles I saw on screen was starring in White Christmas with Bing Crosby. She was the lady at the front desk when she he checked into his sergeant's uh, establishment there. But uh, she also, later in her career, would appear in both Sister Act movies. And sadly, she passed away shortly after starring in the Little Women film with Winona Ryder and Susan Sarandon. And by that time, she was legally blind. Now, um, just so in case people haven't seen this movie, uh, Nate, let's describe the character she was in in, in uh, Sister Act because a lot a lot of people have seen Sister Act. Uh, what can we say about she has a distinctive voice? Mm -hmm. If you saw her face, you'd say, "Oh, that lady," because <laughs> uh, she's been in fifty million things. But what was her what did she do in that movie? She was just Well, Sister Mary Lazarus was her character's name in Sister Act, and she was the original leader of the choir that Whoopi Goldberg's oh, character replaced. That's right. That's if you remember the original <laughs> she, she was really insulted that someone that uh Whoopi Goldberg was gonna take over and she said she gave her the baton and said, Well, Give it a try. And <laughs> oh well the best part oh the best part about that was that she explained that she had been a nun in Canada where they had cold floors and she said those were nuns, bare feet, cold floors. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I, I didn't see it in her credits, but I bet you anything she did a lot of radio. Oh, I would think with, so with that too. voice. Yeah, sure. Her first role, even though it was uncredited, was in 1934. Yeah, she's I mean, been she just And I, I find it interesting that as I read about Mary Wicks, um, one of the people that she worked with in the early days of her career was Miss Lucille Ball. Yeah. Yeah, they were good friends, apparently, mm -hmm. uh, in real life. So let's talk about this movie. Oh, please. Um, I'm just going to jump in by saying I thought... Uh, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble playing uh, people with disabilities. And, um, but I thought that um, Diane Lane, well, given her age, I guess, but, but I thought she did a, a credible and restrained 
performance. I feel like she probably did a lot of observation. I really thought she was effective, and I I never once thought it was, you know, overly done or anything. What'd you guys think? Uh, um, overall, are you talking just about the the um, her her performance? <laughs> yeah, her performance as a person with CP. I thought that she did okay. I mean, it was a little. It did come across, okay, we are looking at it from a sensibility of 2021 to whereas this was, what year? 1980? 80, yeah, 1980. Yeah, 1980. And so, uh, obviously, their take on it is going to be a little bit more exaggerated and almost, and forgive me, Apparently, a personal address for her to bypass 
the line of fans. And, and so I, I thought it was, you know, what I was actually expecting with that was that they started having um, the one actor uh, we just talked about. What was his name? The, John the, Amos? The black actor. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, he ended up being in those scenes every time a letter or package seemed to arrive. And so there was a point where I was like, okay, it's going to come out that he's the one that's buying all the stuff and he's sending it to her and, and he's writing her the letters. And I was oh. expecting something like that to happen by the setup. Oh. So when it turned out that it really was supposed to be Elvis doing that, I was a little surprised. Huh. That's interesting. I, I wasn't that clever one. I was thinking, <laughs> I, I thought, I seriously thought I, I, I bet you this is going to climax with Elvis visiting the school. That's what I really thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, this was the original story was set in Sweden, which is where Lena Canada uh, was actually living at the time. And when they filmed this movie, uh, it was, of course, it was filmed on location in, I believe it was in Canada, but it was supposed to suggest somewhere like Montana. Um, mm. But, uh, oh, I- I want to uh, I want to mention uh, Matt that in the chat room, Aunt Tudor thought exactly what you thought. Oh, yeah. So good. I'm glad I wasn't alone. Yeah, you know. Also, yeah. Aunt Tudor posted a photo of John Amos, and uh, and one of the fun you know fun facts about John Amos, he was in one of the original. <laughs> long time ago mcdonald's commercial where he was singing you deserve a break today at mcdonald's they had this whole sing dance number uh it was one of their really old commercials and he uh he was on um one of my favorite podcasts uh gilbert godfrey's amazing colossal podcast uh and that show is devoted to old hollywood old tv and old movies um and John Amos was a guest, and he said, and he sang it. He remembered all of the lyrics. <laughs> Anyways, uh, um, so uh, 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 yeah, that's how I thought the movie was going to end. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. So, did you ever feel that the movie adequately explained why she became so obsessed? for lack of a better word, with Karen. And I say obsessed because even in the preview, it's like, I've got to get through to Karen! And she just, like, every waking moment was, you know, Karen! And, and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know, sometimes, and obviously, you know, when you're in those situations, you have a favorite or you have somebody that you're really working with. Really. But I never understood exactly what the connection was that made her single out why she was so passionate about helping Karen. Um, all I can say is, and I agree that this was very underscored, um, mm-hmm. is that there's several scenes where she's observing Karen and Karen's just by herself, not engaging anyone. And we see her looking at her um, mm-hmm. and then we see her trying to engage with her in, in several scenes. And I think that's where 
where when it's not working, she becomes anxious about it. Like, you know, I, I'm not reaching her. She says, why can't I reach Karen? And she gets emotion, you know, very emotionally attached. But I think it's just because most of, most of the scenes, aside from the one kid who stares into space, mm-hmm. the, the characters with CPR are living. They're engaging with their environment and the people in it. Mm-hmm. And I think she just tuned into this one loner and wanted to help her. That, that's all I got from, and I agree. It's not, it's really not spelled out precisely. Now I, I haven't read the book and apparently the book by Lena Canada is uh, out of print possibly and difficult to find, but on social media, I got a comment when I posted about us watching Touched by Love, and um, the comment was by Liam, often known as uh, Crayons in My Umbrella uh, on Antivirus show. But he mentioned that somewhere in his collection he has a copy of that book. Now, I have Hmm. to wonder if maybe this is one of those moments where a book is adapted to film that we lose a character moment. Like maybe she had a sister that was special needs. Yeah, or, you know, maybe it's just a reflection that as a woman, maybe she had a marriage that fell apart, or she couldn't have children. And that's what fueled her interest in becoming a therapist to work with special needs. Hmm. I'll I'll add this too. At the very beginning, she says to her co-worker slash roommate, this is my first job. Mm-hmm. So she's very, very young. It's her first job. And, you know, I got the sense from the script and and that she was really didn't know what to do with her life. And she really didn't have an, a, 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 a huge, big philosophical reason for being there. It was, it was a job mm-hmm. and she showed mm-hmm. up. Um, and so, anyways, that's just as far as our motivation goes. I just I get the feeling like this. this, this these are brand new experiences for. Her. Well, She's I, very young, and uh, I mean, even from the first moment she arrived and she was being led to her room to put stuff away, and she met the kids and walked through. There was a moment when she looked at Karen sitting in the wheelchair by herself, and there was this lingering, and I just wondered if there was something that I missed. Yeah. You know, and no, no, I, think, I so. think that that, uh, to some extent, it speaks to how some stories, um, you know, are, are what we call timeless, where you can watch it now and it means the same thing with some of the language that was in play on this. Uh, a- as I gave a disclaimer in the beginning there, that the narration was a little bit strongly worded you know, that they would, parents would be disappointed if their child was born in this way. Um, when Lena first arrives at Brown House and she's being helped onto the grounds, the man who meets her basically recites her resume and he says, college dropout. Now, of course, oh, yeah. in, in today's reality, mentioning that, that's, that's just an insult, you know, saying that basically you have no motivation in life, you know, what did you take this job for? But um, back to our discussion on her, you know, uh, motivation there, that could be the reason why she chose to come to 
brown house is because maybe she lost sight of her goal with whatever she was studying. And maybe this is going to be, you know, her her year that she took off from college before she found herself. But yeah, and but also it, it is a, a very telling about the, the way that things have changed, because now you can't get a job like that unless you have practically a, a master's. You know, to be a live-in therapist or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to. You have to be trained and accredited and everything. Like, yeah, we need whoever. I'm reminded uh, of the scene with Michael Leonard, and and she just tosses off a casual comment, and that's why you're perfectly qualified for this job. (laughs) And it's just because she said something like. I like helping people (laughs) and, and I, you know, she definitely was being trained on the go. If there was any training at all. Um, Also, I have to say that damn opening scene with the doctor who comes to help her with her luggage. Mm -hmm. Was anyone else bothered by his, (laughs) he was out of breath and he was (laughs) sniffling. And it was just like, good Lord. (laughs) Well, what a horrible it was it, it, love interest, but it turned out to be Karen. I mean, you know, he was a two pack a day smoker. What do you want? <laughs> I don't know, but it was hideous. <laughs> uh, this was clearly not a high budget affair, hmm. and they probably had to shoot this thing uh, just about as fast as they could. But, anyways, that's one of the reasons why it just feels to hell like a made-for-TV movie. It it really does. You know, and um, a a keener eye for detail would have picked up on some of the things, because if this was supposed to be an adaptation of the book, and it was supposed to be set in the 60s based upon Karen being a pen pal with Elvis, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't see all those loud 80s colors that you saw in all the classroom settings. <laughs> yes, yes, you're correct. But um, yeah, I suppose, although I don't know, I I might say, you know, in a classroom setting, you would probably have a lot of primary colors. I don't really remember the sets being loud, but but okay. Well, we, like with the scenes with the, uh, Dr. Bell when she goes yeah. in to visit her, that just looked like romper room to me. Um, yeah, you know, and, well, it kind of was. I, yeah, I mean, but I remember the th- things they were punching the balloons. And- it, it just reminded me of all the things that I saw in my youth, and I lived in the '80s, so it just felt like if this is supposed to be from an earlier time, it shouldn't be the same color schemes in my own classroom. I wasn't yeah. born yet. I, right? I was <laughs> That's the we third time. Computers, so, so yeah. um, uh, I just want to <laughs> give a moment of personal reflection on this because, of course, again. This was one of my sister's favorite films, and it helped her through a hard time because she survived cancer at the age of 16. And I have many uh, moments from my early youth that I associate with this film because just like in the movie, you know, the, the therapist, Lena, tries to engage Karen. She does, you know, things involving uh, sensations. She takes her out in her wheelchair off the grounds and they go to basically a picnic setting right there by the river. And so she's out in the outdoors in the wilderness with the fresh air. And Lena starts telling her about 
um, you know, flights of fancy, fantasy. She's making up stories about squirrels and mice, and she's playing with tree stumps, which, unless you've got a healthy imagination, they're just decaying nature. But that fueled my imagination as a child, and for several years when I was in middle school, I used to play with tree stumps and try to make them out to be little castles like in the movie. I, I thought the visuals for that were, I mean, it, 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 it that that street tree stump, the way it was decaying, looked like a, a little fairy city or something. It, it did. Um, so I, I get what you're saying, DJ. I was scared when she would grab her wheelchair and start racing along, and she's holding on for dear life. I was just expecting that wheelchair to dump her out any moment. <laughs> I was taken aback by that, too. It was so abrupt. And like, holy cow, uh, you know, Jesus. I wonder if there's outtakes where she did. Oh. I don't know. Uh, uh, DJ, I, want, I just want to ask you... Um, did you guys have a VHS copy of it or like, it seems like you watched it a lot of times. Did you have a copy of it or what? We actually taped it off of television when NBC ah, okay. aired it. Okay. But I, I would say, I think probably one of my favorite moments in touch by love is when she has that first breakthrough because she's been, you know, she's been warned not to spend too much time with Karen because she's supposed to evenly divide her time with every of the kids there. And she's, you know, um, in, in a moment of desperation and she's breaking down and she cries in front of Karen. And that's when Karen actually looks up to her and she comes out of her shell because everybody has been told that Karen has given up on herself. And that's when the connection is made. That's when the spark is started. Because then suddenly Karen is interacting with the outside world. And she doesn't want Lena to be sad. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you guys think of, of how they did the ending? Um I th I thought you know boy you're really taking a chance showing the death scene, um, having Lena come across upon Karen um, shortly after she passed, and I thought oh god this is going to be, and and I thought oh you know I thought they did an okay job it was fairly restrained I mean it's not like she went into hysterics, and it, it was affecting affecting to me what did what you guys think. <clears throat> I was like, oh, it's been a wonderful day. It's Christmas and everybody's happy. And she got a big package from Elvis and she just had a wonderful day. And now she's dead. I guess I had not expected. I, I actually did not expect that ending. And I, I figured came, this would, yeah, I figured yeah. this would happen off screen. Yeah. I, I just, I was a little I mean, it was fine, and I think they did it. I think they did it well, and I think it was a fitting, you know, it, it fit in the story. But I, I guess I just thought that they would, you know, be all Busby Berkeley and be like, you know, and Karen is safe and she'll live for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually thought. Uh, yeah, I, I actually thought that it would end and then credits would roll and, and it would just say in in a in the credits, oh, Karen went on to live for a few more years. And yeah, that's, that's, I think that's what yeah. I thought too. 
Yeah. You know, but, but I thought they did it tastefully. I didn't, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, I did have, having seen this shortly after it was new, um, I, I, I've got the convenience of comparing then and now. And as an adult watching it, you know, I, I think they did a fair job of presenting that reality. I think perhaps maybe the purpose of them not fading out and doing credits, because I, I would think that that would be more typical of like an 80s after school special type of story where, you know, mm-hmm. oh, we're so sad because Karen, you know, she, she Lena was happy for the, the months that she worked at Brown House, but after Karen died, she just couldn't continue and she went back to school or whatever, but... I, I think that the purpose was to, um, you know, help you experience this because uh, until things like Touched by Love were made. In fact, I'll go a bit further. And, um, you know, if you remember going into the 90s, we had uh, possibly the first TV show with a special needs person, uh, Life Goes On. And, you know, until things like that were made, people who lived in much more, I guess you might call it ordinary lives where people are, are sheltered and censored from things like this, where, I mean, we still live in a world where people who have special needs, uh, individuals and their family will wait until the later hours of the day to take them shopping at night because they don't want to run into people who are going to point and stare um, mm. but you know, yeah. the, the, the purpose of showing her death was to help people realize that folks like Lena who take a chance, that's like their everyday life. People who work in nursing homes, you, if you care and you get to know the people that you're taking care of, you know, you're, you, you just have, I mean, you, you have to become a strong person because after time, that's just how you move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the chat room, Aunt Tudor wonders if any other kid, any of the other kids, were used again in roles. That could very well possibly be uh, at the in the credits. Uh, at the end, it, it says that these kids all came from the same school, and I want to say Canada because this was filmed in Canada. Um, they came from, uh, they, they just hired cast, I guess would be a better word, these kids, and they were all from us, the same school. Mm-hmm. And it's quite possible, but I don't know. I don't know if they're ever used again. Hmm. Okay. Well, we are um, winding down the discussion of our film tonight. So we're going to enter into a segment that we like to call our snack tray. And this is... Uh, Anything else that you might enjoy if you liked Touched by Love. Now, uh, it also should be noted that Touched by Love has never seen a official home video release. There are many different sources where you could possibly find a copy of this to watch. I like to use a site, and this is not a paid endorsement, called JustWatch.com. You just uh, tell it what services that you have access to, and it will tell you if you can find it. But I also happen to to find a uh, copy of this through um, an Elvis fan club of a sort. So, uh, all right. And and folks, if you do want to see a, a real easy ways, it, there's a, cop- a not a great copy, but it's a copy on YouTube. 
So I'll go first. Um, I'm going to use a recommendation made by a site called Best Similar. And uh, it's just like it sounds best similar. This is a film from 1963, and it stars Judy Garland and Burt Lancaster called A Child is Waiting. The story is psychologist Dr. Matthew Clark is the head of Crawthorne State Training Institute. He's one of the first, it's one of the first boarding schools for developmentally challenged children. And Dr. Clark is a sympathetic but demanding sort of teacher and his approach of tough love is controversial for then. So 1963, a child is waiting. Not familiar with that one, but I love Burt Lancaster. Um, the film this reminded me of uh, is, is an old favorite of mine, uh, a black and white movie made in 1948. It's called Johnny Belinda, and it was with a, Jane, a young Jane Wyman, uh, and, uh, oh, Agnes Moorhead is in it. Oh. And it's about uh, a doctor who volunteers to tutor, just very much like Touched by Love, um, but in this case, not a person with CP, but a deaf-mute woman. And, uh, and uh, uh, good movie. Good movie, Johnny Belinda from 1948. Matt, what did this remind you of? Um, very from the, the very beginning, it reminded me of the miracle worker. Ah. The same type of thing. And you know, a teacher that just won't give up. And in the miracle worker, uh devoted teacher Ann Sullivan uh leads the deaf and blind Helen Keller into the light of learnedness basically teaches her to uh, a way to communicate because her very well-to-do family just ignores her and lets her do whatever she wants and so she's runs wild and she's a ruffian and so but uh, you know the, the version that i was thinking of was not the uh, original patty duke playing the child but melissa gilbert hmm. playing the child so oh, okay. the 1997 or no, excuse me, 1979 version. And uh, very good. And I just loved it when she hauled off and slapped her. Um, there's another... Uh, okay, so just to back up really quickly. Uh, this story started as a stage play. Um, and, and Patty Duke was in the stage play. Uh, and I... Anyways, another really affecting version of it besides the the remake they did on tv with melissa gilbert is sometime in the late 50s no can't have been that soon that was before the damn play <laughs> sometime in the, in the late 62 yeah it, there was a live tv version of it that's oh, what i wanted really? to say oh yeah and that that, that was that was that was good so anyways Okay, well, before we go ahead and uh, take a look at what's coming down the pike, because we are out here in the lobby where we, we kind of start every show. It's kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies where we go to the front door and wave you out. But uh, we uh, had a, a, a fun visit with our boy from the Golden Coast there, Mr. Author and, uh, you know, uh, many, a man of many hats, Matt Burlingame. Matt, could you let the listeners know where we can find you if we 
really need to follow you and maybe don't climb the fence this time, people. Oh, well, yeah, you know, whatever. Climb, climb the fence for me. Uh, I can be found at uh, multiple places, including the Chubbs Gone Wild podcast at ChubbsGoneWild.com, the Big Gay Sex Show podcast over at uh, BigGaySexShow.com. And of course, you can find my books, writings, and other uh, fun projects over at JustKissTheGuy.com. And Toppy, that was uh, 1957. Oh, all right. Uh, hold up them there covers. You had like a bundle. Hold them there covers up. Oh, my 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 collection of of work. Yeah. Mm, yes. Oh, uh, goodies, my baby. And for those of you watching us on YouTube, there is a link at mattnamanusha.com. You can see the uh, published works of Mr. Matt there, spread out so much like Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, of course, if you have somebody in your family or you have a loved one who likes to read, Mr. Matt has the perfect gift put under your tree. One for everyone. There you go. Okay, well, Toppy, here at the Marionette, uh, we've had many things here under our roof, including a magician. Could you I've, hand me that I've bag? I've heard tell. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> hand me that bag of coins there, sir. Uh, all right. The coins first, huh? Coins first. Oh, a capsule. Okay. By the director of Crocodile Dundee. To get to know his girlfriend's son, a working class good guy volunteers to pick him up from his prep school, only to learn that he isn't the nicest young man. 1991 comedy adventure starring Married with Children, Ed O'Neill, and introducing Ethan Embry, most notable for being Liv Tyler's love interest in Empire Records. A holiday adventure the family can enjoy in the spirit of planes, trains, and automobiles next time on Matinee Minutia, which will be Friday, December 3rd. Dutch. Dutch. Very well. I like those shoes. <laughs> oh, Aunt Tudor says he's been reading some of your books. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Cool. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. So, well, let's look thank over the that. Uh, people in the chat room. Yes, please. Look over the balcony there, Toppy, and tell us who is in there tonight. Uh, joining us live in the chat room. You know, folks, uh, besides being a podcast. <laughs> We are streaming live every first and third Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we've got some folks here. We've got a Discord chat room. People can talk to each other and talk to us. And we can see you. And we can chat with you. And you can chat with us. Anyways, thanks for being here. Aunt Tudor. Uh, and we've got your hubby, Billy Starsage, is here. We have Marin Kurtz. Nice to see you again, Marin. And I saw Cronehaven pop in. I bet she's still listening. And uh, and then uh, that, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. 
Okay, so in the ways of the uh, old-time radio days, Toppy, could you say goodnight, Gracie? Goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.